Well, well, amen. Thank you, Andre, 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 and Andre. That was really well done. God bless you. Boy, that's quite something how he does that. I don't know how he does that. All the four parts there, but he does a wonderful job. Open your Bible this evening, please, to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. Now, while you're turning there to Ephesians chapter 3, let me, let me tell you a story out of the Old Testament. It's found in the book of Daniel about how three Hebrew men that were in Babylon refused to bow down to this giant idol that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And at the sound of all of the music, everyone was to bow down in worship to this idol. And these three Hebrew young men decided in their hearts that they weren't going to bend. They weren't going to bow. And uh, they knew that in so doing, they would probably be put to death, but they wanted to remain true to the Lord. And I really hope that as a Christian, you want to remain true to the Lord. And so these three young men were arrested and they were all bound up with ropes and they were cast into this fiery oven that was heated like seven times what it was normally supposed to be heated. And it was sometime around then that King Nebuchadnezzar, who was probably sitting on his throne chair watching, and he looked on with unbelief and he saw and he counted not three men that were in the fiery furnace, but four men. And in Daniel chapter three, verse 24, he said, did not we cast three men bound into the midst of fire? Then he said, lo, I see four men loose. Notice that it went from three to four. They cast in three. All of a sudden it's now four. How'd that happen? He goes on. He says, Four men loose walking in the midst of the fire and they have no hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the son of God. And what an eye opener this was for King Nebuchadnezzar. Truly, I'll tell you, the Lord does not forsake his children. What happened that day? Jesus Christ came and went into that fiery oven and he was there to meet the three Hebrew men as they were cast in. And the Lord Jesus made sure that there was no harm from the fire that came upon them, except their ropes burned off. That was it. Otherwise they were walking around having fellowship with the son of God, with Jesus himself there in that fiery furnace. Hallelujah. And so we see that when God is involved, when God gets involved, you see the number went up. It went from three to four. It went up. How did that happen? Well, first John four, four says greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. I believe the Christian is always in the majority. Although we don't see it, we don't always uh, understand it or we don't, don't uh, keep it in mind. It's always true. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. That means that as a Christian, you are in the majority. You have a greater presence and greater power. And I do believe access to greater purity than any of the lost and unsaved around you, be it at school, at work, or wherever you might go. Now, I'd like to show you something, and I think it's quite unique. I think I might have shown this to you before a few years back, but I'd like to show it to you again. It's a mathematical problem. Some of you will remember it once you see it. 
All right, put that up, would you please? Now, normally, um, 5 plus 5 plus 5 normally equals 15. That's according to human reason and understanding, and we'd look at that and say, yes, uh, that makes sense. The equal sign there on the right-hand side, it's equal to what's on the left-hand side. And we say, yes, that's normal and natural. Now, when God gets involved, things change. And I suggest to you that that number on the right is going to go way, way up when God gets involved. Now, the question is, how do we get God involved here? Now, put up the next series of numbers. All right, well, okay, how can we make it 550? 555. You know, some people say, well, it should be 555. You just take out the plus marks. Well, I want to add a line, one line. I want to add one line and I want to make that true. How do we, how do we do that? Remember the principle that when God gets involved, the numbers go way up. Now, normally that that would be a false statement. Five plus five plus five does not equal 550, but we're going to add one line and we're going to all of a sudden make this a true statement. All right, gentlemen, add the line for us. There it is. One line. That's all it is. Now it's 545 plus five. And of course that equals 550, doesn't it? So by simply adding God to an equation, we can see that the results are going way up. They're much greater. They're much, much better. And I believe that's why in the parable of the sower, remember that parable of the sower, behold, a sower went forth to sow. Some of the seed landed in the good ground. And that's why Jesus said that when it brought forth its increase, it brought forth 30 times, 60 times, a hundred times. These are unheard of returns on the seed today with farming. If they can possibly get 30, 30 times back they're they're just shouting hallelujah. And back in ancient times, they didn't, they didn't get that. Be lucky if they got 20, but Jesus was saying 30 and then he said 60. And then he said a hundred times. How is that even possible? It's because God got involved. That's how it's possible. That is the only way it can be possible. When God is involved, what he does is he bends the laws. He bends his own laws of physics and, uh, and nature and mathematics. He bends his own laws so as to make miracles happen. And that's what miracles are when God works uh, and uh, outside his own laws or bends the laws of physics and things. And we're calling miracles. Now this Wednesday begins our faith promise conference. And so we only have one week left between now and, uh, and Sunday when we want to be able to give something to the Lord. It's only a week. It's only seven days. It's not much time. And we need to uh, get down to business. Like this morning, I said, we need to, as a team, we're a team folks, and we need to get all involved for, for us to bring forth uh, our full potential. Otherwise we are wasting gas. We're wasting precious years. We need to get all aboard. We need to do that. I want to ask every one of you this week to fast one meal, fast a, a meal that you would normally eat. Right? So if you normally eat a lunch or a supper or a breakfast, if you normally eat one of those, I want you to fast and pray. And don't worry, you won't die. 
you, you'll be able to hang in there. You could probably fast a couple of meals and still be just fine for it. But fast one meal and pray and say, Lord, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to be involved? It's important that we do this. If we miss the fasting, I think we're going to miss out on the uh, still small voice of God to tell us what to do. So starting this Wednesday is our faith promise conference. And it's all about seeing God doing miracles through our church. Now with your Bible open at Ephesians chapter three, I'd like you to uh, follow as I read two verses and then we'll have a word of prayer. Verses 20 and 21. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us unto him be glory in the church. See that notice that in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Now it's time to pray. Our Heavenly Father, we've reminded ourselves once again that you're a God of miracles. We've reminded ourselves that you are able to bend the laws of physics and nature and mathematics and medicine and anything to, in order to bring about miracles. And we ask you, Father, to teach us that tonight and remind us that and remind us that the just shall live by faith And remind us that without faith, it is impossible for us to please you. For us, we who come to you must believe that you are and that you are a rewarder of them that diligently seek you. And that's what we're trying to do here today is diligently seek your face. So Lord, please help us to find you, find your will, and then do the miracles. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Hey, listen, speaking of miracles, did you know that the Christian life is a miracle. Did you know it begins as a miracle and it continues as a miracle? If you understood the Christian life from God's perspective, then you would know that the spiritual experience of being born again, spiritually born again into God's family is a miracle. It really is. Being able to live above the world is a miracle. One day when we go home to heaven, either through death or through the rapture, it's still a miracle that we're transported home to heaven. It's going to be a miracle, folks. And I do believe in the rapture. Well, I believe that all through our Christian lives, we are to grow in faith, from faith to faith. That's what the the scriptures talk about. The just shall live by faith. You don't need faith. To see that two plus two is four. What kind of faith do you need for that? But if, if two plus two is five, you're going to need faith. You're going to need faith to believe that answer because you can't see it. Well, I got two and I got two and you're telling me that it equals five. One, two, three, four. I I come up with four. I do it a hundred times. I just come up with four. Yeah. Yeah. Nebuchadnezzar was going to throw three men into the fiery furnace and he threw three men in. He didn't see the fourth one until the first three were thrown in. And then all of a sudden there were four. Did not we throw three? Behold, I see four and the fourth is like to the son of God. Four. You need faith to trust that God wants to do a miracle through you and through your finances. 
That's what faith is all about. And that's what faith promise is about. When it comes to missions, faith promise missions, God will do a miracle through you and through our church. And we've seen him do it year after year. If you're fairly new to the church, if you've, if you've been here less than a year, then you wouldn't have seen the miracle last year. You wouldn't have seen the miracle before that. You know something? Uh, Grace Baptist Church is a small church. And on, on Sundays, when it used to be on Sundays, when we'd all get together, we'd be uh, either side of 200, a little below, a little above, but we'd be around 200. And for a church of 200 to be supporting 89 missionaries plus a Bible college. Wow. That's very unusual. Say, how did that happen? The miracle of God. That's how it happened. That's exactly how it happened. But supernatural ability to do more, to make more, to give more, just more. That's what miracles are all about. Let me remind you. The crossing of the Red Sea. The Jews had come out of Egypt and they were waiting there at the Red Sea to get through. Did you know that according to the normal natural laws of physics and nature, Pharaoh should have come barreling down their throats and should have beat them up and put them in chains and dragged them all back to Egypt. That's what should have happened. But that's not what happened. God performed a miracle and he opened up the Red Sea. And his people got through and then Pharaoh and his armies trying to do the same thing. They went in and God closed the water walls of water over top of them. They were all killed. That's a miracle. Um, I tell you another one. When they crossed over Jordan and got into the promised land, the first town they came to was Jericho and Jericho was known for its walls. Its walls were massive. You see, a city's defenses were found in the walls and the gates. And the gates were as thick and tall as could be, heavy, heavy. Took several men to open and close them. And the walls were high, high and very, very thick. And so what, what was the strategy? God said to Joshua, have your people march around the city and not say a word. Shh, not a word. And then next day they were to do it again. They were to do this for six days. And on the seventh day, they were to do it seven times. And as they did this, all of the people were looking down over top of the walls at the Jews walking around, wondering what is going on. Now, from the Jews perspective, down on the ground, kind of looking up and at the walls. I mean, you couldn't help but look at the walls. There wasn't any cracks. There wasn't anything there on the sixth day, even on the seventh right through to the seventh time around. And then finally they blew the trumpets and the walls came crashing down by all of the normal natural laws of physics that should not have happened. And those Jerichoites should have been safe within their walls, but God brought about a miracle. You see, when God gets involved, miracles happen. I'll tell you another one later on, Joshua was pursuing the enemy and the sun was going down. And they were going to lose out on the opportunity to conquer the enemy. So Joshua calls upon the sun to stand still. Now that should not have happened. That should never have happened. According to the laws of the universe, that doesn't happen as the world revolves and goes around, whatever, you know, that sun appears to come and go on a very regular pattern. 
But what happened that day? What happened was the sun stood still. By all normal natural laws of physics, the sun should have gone down and the enemy should have been able to escape. But it didn't happen because God did a miracle. I'll tell you another one. Samson, the great man of mighty strength, when the spirit of God came upon him, he went up against 3,000 Philistines. Wow, what happened? Those thousand Philistines there should have overpowered Samson. That's what should have happened. But what happened was Samson overpowered them. By all the laws of nature, that should never, ever have happened. Never. By all the rules of warfare, it's impossible for that to happen. But God got involved and he bent the laws of nature. And I don't know, maybe they threw spears at him and the spears would bounce off him. I don't know. I wasn't there. But I know that Samson destroyed all of these enemy Philistines here. I'll tell you another one. David, as a young teenager, went up against a giant, nine and a half feet tall. His name was Goliath. By all the natural laws of the universe, Goliath should have won the fight that day. Uh, David might have weighed, uh, what would you figure, 120 pounds maybe? Possibly a little more. What did Goliath weigh? Quite likely, Goliath weighed about four or 500 pounds. The very laws of physics, all Goliath had to do was fall on David and he would have won the victory. Goliath would have been the winner. But God, he bent the rules of nature. And what God did was he made David the winner, not Goliath. You see, David won, not because David was so wonderful, but because God is so wonderful. God got involved. And when God gets involved, the results are exciting. I'll tell you another one. The Lord Jesus told the disciples there in the boat to cast their net out and they'd have a, a big draft of fishes come in. And of course they, they said, well, we've labored all night. We're professional fishermen. We've labored all night and have caught nothing, but nevertheless at thy word. And so they let down the net and lo and behold, the net, when they started to pull it up, was so filled with fish that they could hardly get it out of the water. And they called to their, their fellow fishermen to come and help and they did, and they came and helped, and they yanked in this monster big haul of fishes. That should not have happened. It was not the time for fishing. It was past the time for fishing. Uh, the best fishing times, ask fishermen, and they'll tell you the time of day and the certain place in the lake and all that. And these were professional fishermen that really knew that, that lake there, that Sea of Galilee, they called it. Lake Gennesaret is also what it's called. What happened? God got involved and he bent the normal natural rules and great things happened. I'll give you another example. Once when Jesus was preaching to, to crowd of thousands and thousands, people had brought no food. And there, there was one boy who brought a little lunch, five loaves and two fishes. Now, according to the normal natural laws, that should have been enough for one boy. But when God gets involved, when Jesus is brought into the picture, all of a sudden now, those five loaves and two fishes are enough to feed 5,000 hungry men, plus women, plus children. Experts estimate there could have well been 10,000 people there that day. 
But whether it was 5,000 or 10,000, five loaves and two fish aren't going to feed that many. I'm telling you, in all these examples, the normal natural laws of physics and nature should, these, these things should not have happened. They should not have been allowed to happen. And yet when God gets involved, he bends the laws, his own laws in order to make miracles for his people. Now look at it again, please. In Ephesians three, verse 20, now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. That's his power. God's power is there waiting, ready and available. I wonder how many times we have needlessly gone through horrible experiences just because we didn't reach out to God and depend upon his mighty power. I wonder how many of us at, at times in our lives have suffered when we didn't have to suffer, but we never called out to God. We never got God involved like the little equation five plus five plus five here. We're trying to, to make it equal, you know, a hundred or 200 can't be done, but God gets involved. One little line is all it took. And now all of a sudden it's equal to 550. When God gets involved, wonderful things happen. And we see that here. Now today, this morning and this evening, we're talking about God, God's faith promise for missions. And tonight we're talking about his uh, missionary mathematics. And if we do it God's way, and I, you've heard me say this before. If we do it God's way, we'll see the miracle. We will. Now, for those of you who may be new to our church and new to our missions program here, here's a few things you need to know. Number one, this world, this whole world has a serious sin problem. It really does. It ends in eternal damnation and destruction in hell. And people need to be saved. Point number two. God's solution to getting people saved is called missions where soul winners or missionaries will take the gospel of Jesus Christ around the world. The whole world has the problem. And so the whole world needs the solution. God's answer is missions. Someone says, Oh, that doesn't seem to make any sense. That can't get the job done. It can. If God is involved, I'll tell you, Feed these 5,000 men with these five loaves and two fishes. Can't be done, Lord. Can't be done. It can if I get involved, says Jesus. Same with missions. We can help see people around the world saved if we'll get involved. It's very important. Number three, missions should not normally work. Normally, this program should not work. It should fall flat on its face. Because we Christians, we're too small, we're too weak, we're too poor, we're too scared to do anything. The program of missions should fail. It should not work. And yet it, it can and it does. Point, that brings me to point number four. When God gets involved, then his miracle missionary mathematics take over. And all of a sudden, that five plus five plus five equals 550. All of a sudden, five loaves and two fishes feed over 5,000 people. When God gets involved, the miracles happen. 
If it's just up to us trying to use our human reasoning, trying to sit down as a board of educated men and women to decide what can be done and what can't be done. Ah, let's just pack it in. What a waste of time. The task is way too big to reach the whole world. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Impossible, you say. For us it is. But with God, all things are possible. Never forget that. And God's missionary mathematics come to the rescue. Now, let's take a look at this. And we'll turn back in our Bibles to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Now in chapter 8, verses 1 and 3, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 and 3, Paul is saying something amazing about the churches, plural, the churches in Macedonia, that they were somehow giving way beyond their power to give. Look at verse 1. Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. Verse 3, for to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power. They were willing of themselves. These churches were able to do some pretty serious giving above what they would normally be able to do. Someone says, how, how is this possible? Look at verse seven. Therefore, as ye abound in everything in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all diligence and in your love to us. Now, Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. These words here, he says, see that ye abound in this grace also. What grace is Paul talking about? Go back to verse one. Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. So Paul is saying that all Christians need to abound in this particular grace. And it's available to you and to me and to all of the people at Grace Baptist Church because it's God's church and he is the one that gives grace. Now, again, someone says, but how, how is this possible? Look at chapter nine. Now chapter nine. Now, of course we have in verse six, he, which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. And he, which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. And we're going to get back to that in just a moment. That, that principle, I mean, but look at verse eight. Here it is right here. Verse eight, follow with me as I read it. And God is able to make all grace That's all types of grace and all of the grace you need. All grace abound toward you that ye having always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. God is looking for a business partner. God is looking for a man or a woman who will say, you can use me, Lord. I will be faithful. I will be a channel of your blessing. All right. You pour it to me and I'll pour it right through Lord to where you want it poured. And God is looking for Christian men and women, and they can be young people too. Let's not forget the children. God is looking for business partners. When God gets involved, miracles happen. My brother, my sister, you can be involved with God's grace of giving. God bestowed this grace on the churches of Macedonia. The church at Corinth didn't have it. And that's why Paul was telling them, make sure that you look to God for this grace also to be able to give to missions. And then of course, chapter nine and verse eight, he spells it right out that God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye having all sufficiency and all things 
may abound unto every good work. God will look after you and he will give you abundance. And with that abundance, you give that to the missionaries. Now that's essentially what God is saying here. And someone says, well, you know, how can we give when we don't have it to give? That's what the miracle is all about. My friend, that's why God needs to get involved with your finances. God needs to get involved with your plans. Ye have not simply because ye ask not ask and ye shall receive seek and ye shall find knock and it shall be opened unto you. It's like how God wrote the Bible. How did we get the wonderful word of God? Anyhow, holy men of God yielded themselves to the Lord and God used them to write what he wanted written. That's how we got the Bible. It's exactly how we got it. And God is looking for ordinary Christians, simple and honest and pure in heart who will get involved and will let God do his miracles through them. Now this means he will give you the supernatural ability to be able to give more than what you have. How is that? Because he brings it to us. We've so many stories of Christians that have spent time saying, Lord, what do you want me to do this year? What do you want me to give? They fasted, they prayed. They felt the still small voice of God encouraging them to step up higher and to give a larger amount. And by faith, they did it. And all of a sudden, God starts opening the doors. They get a raise at work. Aunt Matilda comes over and says, sweetie, I have something for you and gives them a financial gift and is able to do things. And God, he can do anything. He can bend the rules of, of nature. He listen, the, the King's heart is in the very hand of the Lord as the rivers of water. He turneth it whithersoever he will. It says in Jeremiah, God says, I am the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? And then in chapter 33, verse three, he tells us to call unto him and he will answer us and show us great and mighty things, which he, which we know not in the Psalms. God basically tells us that he's the, the Lord God and we are to open our mouths wide and he will fill it. All this takes faith, beloved without faith. It is impossible to please him. It takes faith and you have it. You have it within you. That's the good news. You have it. Now you need to strengthen it and build it. That's where your prayer closet comes in, pouring over the scriptures and getting on your knees or getting on your face and praying earnestly to God every morning. You do this and you'll get those spiritual muscles and you'll be able to get spiritual hearing and hear what God is, is asking of you to do. You partner with God and you're involved in a miraculous life. Who wants to live a humdrum life? Who wants to live a life like the world lives? Anyhow, you get up in the morning, eh, you grumble, have a cup of coffee. You get on a sky train, you go to work, you grumble and mumble and so on. And ah, the boss at work is wants this and that. And you come home. How was your day, honey? Oh, don't ask. And who wants to live a life like that? The Christian life is a life of miracles. And it is, if we'll do it God's way, it always is. And God is looking for a business partner. Now turn back to the gospel of Luke chapter six, Luke chapter six. Now I told you earlier that I was going to explore this thought. Uh, we found in second Corinthians about he, which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. I want you to go to Luke chapter six. 
Luke chapter six. And I really encourage you to underline this verse in your Bible because the promises of God are yea and amen. Uh, We began the evening service. Now, some of you weren't with us when we began. I know because I, I ask uh, for how many numbers, uh, how many uh, devices are connected on. And I'll tell you by the time we, from when we start the service to when the, the sermon begins, the number of devices go way up. But at the beginning of the service, the number of devices is low. So I know that some of you weren't with us at six o'clock when we started the service and you missed out on a blessing. And we spoke there about uh, uh, God's wonder and uh, his promises and that we ought to believe God's promises before we believe the news. We ought to believe God's promises on tithing and faith promise and the prayer closet. We ought to believe those promises and act upon them before we believe what even our best friend tells us. Now, if you were here with us at six, you'd know that. Well, listen, in Luke chapter six and verse 38, it says, here's the promise, give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down and shaken together and running over shall men give into your bosom for with the same measure that ye meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. That's it right there. That's the law of the harvest. You sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. You, you sow generously, you will reap generously. You put a handful toward God. God will put a handful toward you and his hand is bigger than your hand. And so no matter what we do, we can't escape the promise of God here. It first begins with our giving and then God adds his miracle. Simply put, God tells us how much to give and then he gives us the amount to give. God wants to show himself strong and he'll do it through anyone who is willing. Are you willing to be used of God in this miracle? Faith promise is about us seeking and yielding ourselves to God in this area of giving to missions. We have one week. We have one week left until faith promise. And we need to use this next week wisely. And I encourage you again, pick a day, any day and pick a meal, any meal. Any meal that you would normally eat. If you don't normally eat breakfast, don't pick breakfast. Now, maybe some of you have a health condition in which you, you can't afford to go without regular intake of carbohydrates or something. Well, then try fasting desserts or try fasting coffee or something for a day. I know some of you are, you go without coffee, you get headaches and things and you can't function right. Well, then pick something else then. But, uh, but do some kind of fasting, some sort of fasting and praying, asking God what he would have you to do. And he will show you. I know he will because he's done it for years and he's not about to stop. Now, after we know what God wants us to do, then we simply do it. By faith, we do it and we start watching the miracle. Someone says, will we get into financial trouble? The answer is no, not if we do it God's way. Now, if you don't listen properly to the still small voice of God, you might get eaten up with zeal and you might decide to sell everything and give it to the Lord and and just wear sackcloth and let angels come and feed you or let the, the, the birds, the ravens come and bring you meat every day like they did to Elijah. 
And you might think, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. And you'll starve to death. You say, what happened? You weren't listening to the Lord. You were listening maybe to to, uh, something else, but it wasn't the Lord's voice. You, You need to listen carefully to the Lord's voice. And if you do it God's way, you will get God's results. Now, I know there are those who say, well, that's pretty scary. Maybe it's better just to err on the side of caution and give nothing. That's a mistake. That's swinging the pendulum the opposite way. You're going to run into problems there. You're going to run into problems if you swing the pendulum the other way to the extreme. You have to avoid the extremes. You have to find God's will in the center or slightly to the right. That's where you're going to find God's will. You'll find the balance there. Oh, I'll tell you something. The devil is our enemy. He bitterly, bitterly opposes faith promise missions because he knows it means the salvation of souls. He doesn't want people getting saved and living their lives for Jesus. He'll do everything he can to stop that. The devil is bitterly opposed to faith promise because it means people getting saved around the world. So he will try to discourage you. He will try to pour cold water on your zeal. He will try to tell you not to give very much. Just give just a penny. Just, oh, just give maybe just 50 cents or something like that. You can't afford to. Don't you listen to him or you'll end up like him. What we want to do is we want to listen to God. Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Remember, I challenged you this morning if you were with us. I asked you two questions. Do you want to reach your full potential? And number two, will you pray? And pray, Lord, what will you have me to do? I hope that every one of you prayed that this morning. And pray it again tonight. Listen, take your Bible, turn to the right. Go to the book of Galatians, not very far from uh, 2 Corinthians, very close. Galatians chapter number 6, chapter number 6. Now look at verse 7. This is also part of the law of the harvest. Galatians 6, 7, be not deceived. So folks, don't fool yourselves. Don't buy into this lie of the devil. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Now, I know the next verse goes on to talk about the flesh and the spirit. But I'll tell you, some Christian giving is done more in the flesh than it is in the spirit. And when you give according to the flesh, it's like you're mocking God because you're saying, I don't believe those promises. That Luke 6, 38, I don't believe it. It may have been good 2,000 years ago, but this is a modern world and we need modern answers for a modern world. I don't believe in that Hebrews eleven six stuff that says without faith, it's impossible to please him. I, I don't believe in that. You are mocking God when you sow according to the flesh. So be not deceived. There's a very stern warning there for us Christians. We cannot expect to receive God's extra blessings, let alone his normal blessings. If we do not live by faith, there's a story. I like this story story about a farmer who was selling a pound of butter to a baker every day. Things were going well until one day the baker decided he'd put the, the butter on his scale And he was shocked. He was horrified to find that it was less than a full pound of butter. It was like maybe two thirds or something like that. And he was angry about this. And so the baker took the farmer to court. He took him to court 
And the judge was sitting there and listening to the, to the baker talk about how the, the, um, uh, the farmer was, was cheating the baker and, and selling a, a pound of butter. That wasn't a pound. It was much less. And so the judge turned to the farmer and said to me, tell, tell me, sir, he says, do you use any kind of, of instrument to weigh your butter? And the farmer replied, your honor, he said, I'm a poor farmer and I don't have a, a proper fancy store-bought measure. He said, except I have a, an old set of scales. And the judge asked, well, how do you weigh out the butter? And the farmer said, well, your honor, a long time ago, before the baker started buying butter from me, I've been buying a pound loaf of bread from him every day. And so when the baker started buying butter from me, I simply took his pound loaf and put it on one side of the scale and kept adding butter until it, it matched it. That's how. I would give him his pound of butter. Now in this story, we can see that if anyone is to blame, it is the baker. It's not the farmer. It was the baker who was selling a loaf that was less than a pound. And so the farmer, not knowing, just used his same measure and measured back to him what it is that he gave. And you know, there's an application there for Christians. And sometimes we think, well, I'll just give a little bit here to God. I won't give him a full tithe. I won't. I know I made a faith promise last year for so much, but you know, I don't think I can afford that. So I'll just cut it down. No one will know. And God, he's rich. He won't mind. And so we short change God. And then we start finding that the blessings are short changed. Now, all of a sudden things are breaking down. Now, all of a sudden we're losing income. Now, all of a sudden things aren't going so well. You reap what you sow. It's an important lesson for us Christians. Wouldn't you agree? Amen. My brother. Amen. My sister. Yes. Say it. Amen. It's true. God said plainly, a man reaps what he sows, but God changes the equation when we get involved with supporting worldwide missions. It's not a one for one. God changes that for this God. He has to use supernatural influence through his people. And so his people that get involved with supporting worldwide missions, God makes them the promise give and it shall be given unto you pressed down and shaken together and running over. Shall men give into your bosom? That's why you and I need to pray earnestly. Lord, what do you want me to do this year? Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And we must couple it with the fasting, prayer and fasting. We must do this to honor God. This is how we honor God in prayer. And we ask God what he wants us to give. And then God will show us what he wants us to give. Now, listen, be careful because God may lay an amount on your heart that you're thinking, oh, you'll think right away. Oh, that, that, that's a bit too much. I don't think I can do that. It's a little bit too much. And yet God is the one who laid that figure on your heart. Now, before you just write it off, you go back to God and say, well, God, is this what you're saying? Do do I have this right? You know, confirm it to me. Often what my wife and I'll do is we'll pray separately uh, for a few days, even fast and pray. And then we'll come together and we'll share what God has laid on our heart. And normally it's always the same amount. 
What God lays on her heart is what God lays on my heart. That's how it's worked for us. It may not work that way for you, but that's how it worked for us. So that's one way in which we know. But God will give you peace to do what he wants you to do. So again, why are we involved with worldwide missions? It's because God loves people and he wants people to get saved. And God's solution for getting people saved around the world is called missions. And God wants to do it through us. He doesn't have to use us. He could just do whatever he wants and put missionaries all over the world, but he chooses to do it through us. That's the glory of it, that we should be chosen of God to work with him and partner with him in this great work. And he'll tell us what to do and then he'll make it happen. And so why don't you start? Why don't you start today yielding yourself to God and asking him what it is that he would have you to do? Remember this Wednesday, the conference starts. Oh, listen, would you, would you be here? You don't have to come physically, but would you, would you please tune in? You know, raise your hand, raise your hand. Go ahead. Raise your hand. I promise you, Lord, I will be here. Wednesday, 7 p.m. I'll be part of faith promise. Now, some of you are sitting there. You haven't raised your hand. Raise your hand. I promise I'll be part of faith promise. There. Well, I really hope you do. I hope with all my heart that you do this. And I hope with all my heart that you let God use you in a miraculous way. Now, before I close in prayer, I do need to say this that the Christian life, how we got it was a miracle as well. God left heaven. He came to earth, took upon him the form of a human. His name was Jesus. And he went to the cross and died for us. He paid what we owe in hell so that we need not go to hell. He will give us eternal life if we will repent of our sins and we will trust in him for salvation. It's a free gift to be received. Maybe you're watching and maybe in your heart, somehow you just know you're not on your way to heaven. You're not saved. Listen, tonight, would you realize that? I want to show you a picture, some more of God's mathematics. Put that picture up now, would you please? Put that up so everyone can see it. There's the math right there. You do the math, folks. That's what they say. Do the math. One cross plus three nails in the hands and feet of our Savior equals forgiven. Would you like to be forgiven tonight? Would you like Jesus to forgive your sins? Well, there's God's mathematics from 2,000 years ago. One cross plus three nails equals four given. Would you bow your head in prayer right now with me, please bow your head in prayer. Receiving God's gift of eternal life is a matter of faith. You believe you're separated from God because of your sin. God tells you in the Bible, you're lost on your way to a sinner's hell. If in your heart, you'll cry out and say, Lord, I don't want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven. I want to live my life for you. Lord Jesus, I know you're God in the flesh. 
I know you died for me on the cross. I know you were dead, buried, and rose again the third day. I know that. Forgive me my sins. Come into my heart. I receive you into my heart. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Now, Heavenly Father, I pray for all of your people, your sons and daughters, your children, that you would move in a miraculous way in their hearts, that they would desire to partner with you this year more than ever before and to see the miracle of missions happen and the blessings, the many blessings that accompany that throughout the year in our lives and in our church. Father, bless your people, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.